Welcome back to Series Regular, the Hollywood Reporter's all-in podcast on genre television. Hello, everybody. I am Josh Wiggler, your host here on Series Regular. And this week, we're turning our gaze once again to a brand new show, both for this podcast and for the public at large. Carnival Row, the Amazon Prime video series set to launch in its eight-episode entirety on August 30th. As we're all just about finished up with our collective Game of Thrones hangovers, okay, maybe not all of us, here comes Carnival Row, one of the newest fantasy contenders on the scene, and one that's going to be here to stay for the foreseeable future. Sight unseen to the public, Carnival Row has already been renewed for a second season on Amazon, which is a pretty strong show of confidence from the streamer. And it's easy to see why, based on the pedigree involved in the project. Orlando Bloom and Cara Delevingne are the stars of Carnival Row, with additional supporting cast members including Jared Harris, who's fresh from Chernobyl, and Indira Varma, the erstwhile Game of Thrones star responsible for noises like these. That's right, series regular listeners, you're never going to be truly safe from a possible Red Viper sound drop trap. Anyway, those actors and more are at the heart of Carnival Row, which takes place in a faraway fictional fantasy land where humans and mythical creatures intermingle with varying degrees of positive results. Which is to say, there are not many positive results, not a lot of harmony, at least not for the mythical creatures. Unlike Game of Thrones, and unlike some of the other bubbling Amazon fantasy projects like Wheel of Time and the upcoming Lord of the Rings series, Carnival Road does not take its cues from a book or any other kind of source material. Unless you want to count the feature film's spec script, written by co-creator Travis Beecham a long time ago. That script was called A Killing on Carnival Row. And while the eventual Amazon series has ditched the front half of that title, the killings are very much alive and well here. Which is a weird thing to say about killings, but I don't know, you get the picture. The upside of Carnival Row coming your way as a wholly original series? There's no one out there who knows the story ahead of time. Nobody who can spoil the red weddings of it all or otherwise bomb your Twitter feeds and ruin the experience for you. At least not yet. You're advised to binge quickly once the series drops, which shouldn't be much of an issue. What with the fact that it's only eight episodes and it's dropping over a long holiday weekend here in the States. What else do you have going on? We're going streaky! But the downside is this. Carnival Row occupies a very dense and very specific universe, brimming with history and creatures and all sorts of mystical jargon that might take some getting used to. And that's what today's podcast is here to help you with. A series regular special with Carnival Row showrunner Mark Guggenheim, designed to ease your entry into this new series and introduce you to some of the characters, the storylines that you're going to encounter in Carnival Row. That conversation is coming your way right after the following mood setting from the Carnival Row trailer. That streets are safe, no more. Inspector. There's been another killing. Same old, same old. Every three weeks, this lunatic brings down his hammer. We will find who was responsible. Can't go! He's the master of the house available. I'm master here. The city belongs to us! Hi, Mark. Thanks for being on the podcast with us this week. Oh, thanks for having me. Big week as Carnival Row is about to drop on Amazon. Nerves? Excited? How are you feeling? 
Both. It's always both. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's usually more nerves than excitement. Usually um, more nerves than excitement. Usually for me. It tells you a little bit about my <laughs> own own psychology. Simpatico. Yeah. I'm a writer, well. so it's yes. probably not terribly surprising. Yeah. So tell us a bit about Carnival Row. I think that if you've been out in the wild at all, you've been seeing a lot of ads for Carnival Row. So hopefully it's on people's radar already. But this is, uh, it's it's a unique show in that it's, it's not based on any big sweeping pre-existing property. This yeah. is something that is brand new to the world based on a, a, a feature film script, I believe, if that's right. Yes, a feature film script called A Killing on Carnival Row right. that Travis Beecham wrote. Right. Uh, and he co-created the show with Renee Echeverria. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the story and what we're getting into. Basically, it's a fantasy world where we're in a city called the Berg, and it's sort of this failing empire. It's very uh, Dickensian. It sort of look, looks a lot like Victorian England. And what's happening is because of various conflicts outside of the Berg, refugees are flooding in very much the same way like in Paris, they're seeing an influx of Syrian refugees in, in real life. But in our show, the refugees are actually mythological creatures, various creatures from, you know, fairy tales, really, you know, like pixies and fawns and trows and centaurs. So our Syrian refugees are, uh, are fantasy creatures. Right. It's an interesting way to get into a lot of, you know, real world parallels. That must be something that's very exciting to explore from the writer standpoint. Well, I think what's really interesting is Travis wrote this script 15 years ago and they were, you know, that was, there was a real resonance back then, but that resonance has only grown to the point where it's we just happen to be, you know, coming out just at a time when this issue is at the, you know, the forefront of everyone's minds. Right. So this is a, a world that's at war or is recovering from from war. Recovering. Yes. Recovering. They're basically uh, the Berg is sort of this fading empire, kind of like, you know, the the way the British Empire lost its luster. And in an attempt to sort of, you know, shore up their empire, they got into these conflicts with uh, another country called the Pact. They're ruthless. They are. They are ruthless. They see their handiwork is one of the very first images you see in the show. Yes. Yes. They uh, basically they the pact knows that various pixies fairies are trying to fly away from them. So they've strung up barbed wire in the trees to snag them and prevent them from flying. And uh, it's pretty pretty brutal. And the the pact uh, also has uh, among their resources these werewolf like creatures called maroks. And what they do is they actually have their soldiers, their own soldiers, inject themselves with an agent that basically brings about the change. So, yeah, we're dealing with uh, a, a, a villain that's not, uh, you know, they're, they're not above doing some bad stuff. And they are, at, at least through the episodes that I have seen, they're mostly relegated to the land from which the Fae come from, right? They've basically seized upon that place and they have taken it for their own. Um, well, basically, that land of the Fae has basically been a... It's it's been a thing that both empires, both you know, governments have been fighting over. So they're sort of the Fey are stuck in the middle, and now that the conflict is over and the Berg has withdrawn, leaving you know these these homelands really in the clutches of the Pact. So in many ways, the Berg, which is where the show takes place mainly, is 
responsible for this, you know, horror that has happened to the Fey folk. So the show takes place mostly in the Berg, which is where we get Carnival Row, the title from. Can you describe that a little yeah. bit for people? Uh, car, car, basically, the Berg is divided up like mo- like most large cities are into various different sections, and there's a a neighborhood that the Fey have found themselves congregating in. Again, much the same way we see in our own in our own world, and you know. A, a, stretch of that neighborhood is known, you know, sort of just colloquially as Carnival Row. Yeah. So we've got some very important characters at the heart of this tale who we have yet to speak about. Who would you say are the the central people that we're going to be following through this show? Well, you know, for sure, I think, uh, you know, certainly from all the marketing and everything, you, you see that uh, this show co-stars Orlando Bloom and Cara Delevingne, and they're very prominent, obviously. But one of the things we, we love about the show is it has such a wide-ranging and talented ensemble. But uh, Orlando plays Rycroft Philostrate, who, a Philo to his friends, who is a inspector for the local constabulary. And he finds himself investigating basically a, a series of killings. Meanwhile, Cara Delevingne's character, Vignette Stonemoss, is someone who just arrives in the Berg at the very beginning of our series. So she is one of the refugees of which we speak and she and philo have a rather complex uh, romantic they history. history they do they have a, a very interesting romantic history i don't think it's spoiling anything to say that vignette comes to the berg having thought that philo was killed seven years earlier and suffice it to say philo is very much alive and uh vignette will have something to say about being deceived in that way sparks will fly sparks definitely fly. alongside some of the pixies will fly as well there's a lot of things flying <laughs> a lot of flying there's a lot of flying in this show uh which is cool actually we have incredibly talented you know uh stunt people designing the wire work and very talented visual effects artists painting outside wires as well as painting in the fairy wings there's a lot going into the show the, the names of the characters are so great. I mean, it really yes. does have sort of... there's it, It's like fantasy noir is kind of how I would describe fantasy Carnival Fantasy noir Royal. is how we talk about it, too. Yeah. Um, and it really... One of the things I love about it is, you know, a, not just the fact that it's not based on something, you know, not some pre-existing, you know, book or movie, but I love the fact that if for a fantasy show to take place in sort of a post-Industrial Revolution era... I've never seen that before either. Typically, fantasy shows tend to be in a medieval or quasi-medieval setting. And what we're doing is telling a story sort of in that fantasy world that you've seen a million different times now, but advanced by, you know, 10 to 12 centuries. Right. It has sort of a steampunk quality about it as well. It definitely gives it a steampunk. I would say it's like, steampunk light yeah uh it's not we're not going super heavy with the steampunk but for sure there are are visual elements there that you know would i think properly be categorized as steampunk who are your favorite characters who 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 stands out to you the most who speaks to you from the carnival row cast you know i can't i cannot choose among my cast members (laughs) um the truth of the matter is is that what i think is great about the show is you've got Karin orlando who obviously they come in with, you know, a, a huge following and a huge name recognition. But then you've got other 
people like Tamsin Merchant or David Jesse who are not as well-known playing characters that I think will really take people by surprise. So there's a nice mix of the the movie stars and the celebrities you know so well. Jared Harris is in this. Well, well, then I was going to talk about like Jared Harris and Indira Varma, who are just, you know, actors, actors who have, you know, an incredible body of work behind them. And and some people, you know, like Ndira, for example, who's in Game of Thrones, have that that genre street cred. You know, you've got Jared, who recently everyone knows from the amazing Chernobyl. So it's it's an incredibly deep bench. I mean, Simon McBurney, who is is basically English theater royalty, who is playing Rupert Murdoch right now in The Loudest Voice. I mean, everywhere you look, there's a incredible actor playing a really interesting character. Yeah. And one of the, you know, fun parts about the show is the way we weave in and out of these various different characters' lives. And you'll sort of see how you find yourself waiting, like, oh, when is when is Orlando's character gonna meet Jared's character? When is, you know, this character gonna cross with that character? And and that's part of the fun of the show. Yeah. Uh, from a content perspective, even though there's fairy tale creatures littered across Carnival Row, this isn't for, you know, this isn't your classic. This is maybe more of the grim fairy tale yes. variety in terms of content. Can you speak to that a little bit? It's a violent show at times. It's it's a violent show at times. Not gratuitously violent. We're, we're trying to tell a story. We're trying to use the violence to tell a story about what these fae folk are facing. And, you know, you'll see it in the opening moments of the show with Kara's character they are fleeing some terrible conditions and terrible violence. Um, and rather than just talk about the terrible violence, we, we felt the need to dramatize it because it really is, you know, the inciting incident for our show. And uh, I, I feel like, you know, you very diplomatically tried to get at the thing that Travis Beecherman and I always get asked about, which is uh, the fairy sex. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and I get that. That's, it's funny. I, I think I was slightly surprised at how much of an interest that's been of the various different journalists who have interviewed us about the show. But for us, the adult nature of the show is a big part of it insofar as it's important to really ground this world in a real and visceral way. So the the violence, you know, is real. Sex, as we know, is a part of life, and that's real. Even though these are, you know, creatures that you know from fairy tales, and we associate fairy tales with, you know, children's literature, this is, like you said, it's more the uh, the Brothers Grimm, darker, quite frankly, more European yeah. version of, of fairy tales. But I think part of what that buys you, too, is it gives you the ability to, to navigate some of these very important difficult themes that you're exploring here with the refugee crisis as well, racism within uh, the world of Carnival Row oh, as yeah. well. Yeah, well, you know, it's we, we like to say the show is about every way you can possibly segregate a culture. So it is about racism, but it's also about sexism and classism. And, you know, I like to say it's about every ism there is. And you, you see that, you know, the show is kind of like a diamond where depending upon which direction we turn it for the audience, you will see a different facet, not just of the world, but of an issue. Yeah. Orlando Bloom is someone who is so known for playing these heroic roles. Pirates of the Caribbean immediately comes to mind. Legolas immediately comes to mind. How is this character different for him in playing Philo? 
Well, that's one of the things I love about not just the casting of Orlando, but Orlando's performance. Because Philo is basically 180 degrees away from the, you know, from Will Turner and Legolas. But, you know, Orlando brings into the project the, you know, sort of the baggage in a good way of those roles. But he's playing a character that is much more internal, much darker, much more brooding, quite frankly. Uh, he's not being a swashbuckler by any stretch, uh, even though, you know, he, he has a fair amount of, of action. Uh, in the first the episode show. alone. In the first episode alone. And by the way, that was, uh, that, that you, people haven't seen yet, but that's Orlando doing a lot of his own stunts. It's, that's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, um, lot, a lot of jumping around well, that's going on. Y- you know, you'll see there's a, a slide down a roof. Uh, he slides on a roof and sort of catches a, a storm gutter to stop his fall. And, and that's Orlando. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty good. And the jumping across rooftops and the, the leaps, that is mostly him yeah and how about Kara as vignette who's basically your co-lead what are we getting from this character and what do you what do you think that the show is really able to explore through her perspective especially as one of the fae i just i well i i love the fact that Kara's that vignette you know Kara's character is such a warrior she's just she's steely she's tough but at the same time what motivates her isn't survival for herself it's actually survival for her people and and more specifically her people's culture one of the things you'll learn again this is not a spoiler one of the things you'll learn in the, the course of the series is that she back in her homeland was the custodian of this sacred library and that really was the repository basically of uh, you know all the knowledge of her people and she takes being a fae very seriously. So Carnival Row is a, a show of confidence has already been renewed for a second season uh, without sight unseen for, for the rest of the world. What does that what does that mean to you? What should that mean to us? That's a that's a pretty big sign of confidence. Well, that's the thing. It, it really was. I mean, it, it was it. I think it what it probably demonstrates better than anything is that Amazon was the first fan of this show. They've obviously, you know, been seeing early cuts and seeing finished cuts and they have been incredibly supportive of it even before we got renewed for a second season. They've been very supportive, you know, in terms of not just money, but anything, logistics, uh, anything we needed to produce the show that we wanted to produce. Yeah. And I've, I've, I've never seen anything quite like it. But I think they recognize that the show has the potential to be something really special. Yeah. When we get to the end of the first season, how thankful are we going to be that there's a second season? Are you leaving us on a note where we are really going to be, we would have been furious if there was no more? I think so. (laughs) I I, I definitely think so. Uh, I know I, as a viewer, would not have been particularly happy. Um, (laughs) That's a warning. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. Uh, You know, the first season, uh, it ends, you know, certainly certain mysteries are, are sewn up. You definitely will have a nice sense of closure uh, as far as a lot of the storylines are concerned, but things happen in the final episode that really are game changers that do set up the second season uh, and that will have you going like, oh my God, what happens next? You know, one of the things I, I love about the way the first season is constructed is none of the characters end the season the way they began. They all find themselves in completely changed circumstances. And as someone who's, you know, working on the second season right now, 
I can tell you that just creates so many wonderful story possibilities. So, you know, it's not a traditional cliffhanger, but if we've done our job right, you'll definitely want to come back for more. And as far as people encountering Carnival Row for the first time, do you recommend the binge? Do you think you want to slow drip this? How would you watch this if it Ooh, were if you were question. giving the recommendation? That's a great question. I'm probably the wrong one to ask because I know I don't binge anything. Yeah. But I think, you know, what's what's really nice about the way the first season is constructed and we're doing the same thing with the second season is even though it looks like a movie, we don't conceive of it or think of it as an eight hour movie. Rather, we think of it as an eight chapter novel. Yeah. So the answer to your question really depends upon how you, how you like book. to read. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, if you, you like to curl up with a book over a long weekend and read the whole thing all the way through, you know, you can do that with the show. It's it. The show has a very sort of literary kind of quality to it. Yeah. Can't wait for people to check it out. I'm sure you can't either. I just hope they do. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate you being on. Thanks a lot. And that'll do it this week for Series Regular, the Hollywood Reporter's all-in podcast on genre television. If Carnival Rose sounds up your alley, it's going to be streaming on Amazon starting August 30th. What's more, it's not the only brand new fantasy series embarking on a streaming spirit quest this week. Netflix also has The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance coming out, which has been getting rave reviews. I've only seen the first episode and I loved what I saw. So if you're at all a fan of that universe based on the old 1982 Jim Henson movie, or you've seen the trailers and you're just curious, you'll be able to get your gelfling on as soon as the episodes drop on August 30th. As always, thanks for listening to Series Regular. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the show on your podcast app of choice. Email us at seriesregular at thr.com with your suggestions for shows to cover or any other feedback. We'll be back soon with another new episode. Until then, take care. Take care.